So as we've just um, shared, we're in a series at the moment where we're looking at prayer together. And that is quite simply because prayer is a massively important part of our life of faith, of our relationship with God, of our life um, together. Um, And who would like it if their prayer life got better? How many of you feel like you've completely made it in prayer? You've got no issues with prayer, no theological issues with prayer, no worries about doubt, no issues around concentration or time with the Lord great, then we're all in the same boat. That's really good, isn't it? So you can look around and feel encouraged that no one here feels like their prayer life is yet perfect. So no one's being uh, judged or anything like that. It's all very good. Um, Prayer is one of those things that I think we ongoingly just find really, really difficult. Um, As believers, I know I do. Um, And it's so hard, isn't it, to um, focus for extended periods of time. I feel like, oh man, I really want to make more time. I really want to get serious about prayer. I read the Psalms once and uh, um, David calls himself at one stage. He's like, but I am a man of prayer. And I remember remember reading that and being like, yeah, I'm going to be a man of prayer. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I, I currently, I think I've made it to kind of little boy of prayer. Like I'm kind of um, working my way up there, but it's a slow and painful process and involves many ups and downs, doesn't it? Um, and so a lot of the time when I'm asked pr- to pray for things, um, I, like I do, but I'm, I, 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 sometimes I don't even really believe what I'm saying. Does anyone ever get that? You're like, why is this guy talking to us? <laughs> this is not helpful. Um, today we're going to talk about a, a kind of an aspect, a way of praying that I've just found so useful and so helpful over the past, particularly over the past year, really. Um, and sorry, I oh, was it on the floor. Um, and uh, this might be like a little bit tricky um, for some of us. Um, to engage with. I really don't want to say that today we're going to look at the way that we should all be praying because obviously there are so many different ways to pray, aren't we? We can gather to pray, we can shout loudly in prayer, we can be completely quiet in prayer, um, we can pray for a long time, we can pray very briefly. Jesus very confusingly tells us that the best way to pray is to not repeat yourself and pray very briefly but then to pray for an extended period of time and never give up. So it's like, okay, like prayers kind of, there's lots of ways to do it. And we're just going to look at kind of a way of doing it um, that I've found helpful over the past year. And that is called contemplative prayer, or some people would refer to silent prayer. Um, Some people call various things around it like centering prayer or listening prayer. Basically, what we're talking about today is the type of prayer that involves effectively sitting down and doing this. And it's surprisingly hard <laughs> to sit in silence and try and just be aware of the presence of God. Not, I'm not even like not not to even pray with our minds, not to even do loads of thinking, loads of elaborate kind of processing with God, but just to sit and be aware of of God. And so that's kind of where I want to go today. Now, the story that we're going to look at alongside that. Um, along with some others probably. Um, But it's the story, it's a beautiful little story in the New Testament um, of a woman called Anna. Um, Who remembers who Anna is in the the New Testament? She just comes up for like three verses um, in the Gospel of Luke when um, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus as a child, as a baby, to the temple to dedicate him to God. Um, And Luke just says this, There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, which means the face of God, interestingly. Isn't that cool? What a good name, face of God. Um, Of the tribe of Asher. 
She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So today we're going to use this, the story of this incredible woman. Like, what? Like, how cool is that? She was, probably got married really, really young. So the, my guess is, and it's just a guess, I, they're all just guesses, but the, maybe she got married in kind of her mid to late teens. So kind of 15, 18 when she got married. Then she was married for seven years, which means by her mid-twenties, she's a widow. Now, what do you do in your mid-twenties if you become a widow? Um, I guess the jury's out on that one. You can kind of decide. But um, if you think of her options and all that she could have done with her life, um, how she could have probably sought to be remarried. I don't really know. She, could have, she didn't have kids yet, so the, kind of the options are open. What does she do? Does she start a family? Does she kind of pursue the American dream? I don't know if they had the American dream in um, first century Israel, but there you go. Um, uh, but, but instead, for some reason, we're not sure whether she was pushed into it or whether she chose it, um, she decides to just go to the temple and live there and worship and make her life just about being in the presence of God. And you could look at her and you think, well, that, that is kind of like a, a waste. I don't know if I'd recommend that for a 25-year-old. Think of all the things you could do for God. Think of all the, the ways that you could make your life useful. Um, think of all the things you could do as a, as a, a family woman. In, that, in, in those days, basically, the value of women was raising families. And so she's kind of saying no to the dominant culture's view of how she should spend her time, how she should... Um, how she should use her life kind of effectively to instead just say, you know what, I'm going to abandon it and just lay it at the feet of God and spend my time in prayer and worship and fasting in his house. Isn't that stunning and so beautiful? And then 60 years later, she is one of the two people in the temple who are perceptive enough to notice the Christ appearing. Huh. Now, Anna isn't an example per se of like, oh yeah, she did contemplative prayer all the time. But the reason um, I want to talk about Anna a little bit this morning um, is, is basically that she, she made that choice. She made that choice to say, actually, um, I could make my life useful according to the kind of dominant view of my day, but instead I'm effectively going to waste my time on worship. I'm going to waste my time in the presence of God. And it turns out it's not a waste at all, right? Um, so kind of um, basically, we're going to look through a few now, a few things um, that I've kind of learned about contemplative prayer this year. Uh, we might get through in a bit of a muddle. Is that all right? Cool. Uh, so just try and follow me, um, which is, might be a challenge. Um, but the first kind of thing I found about contemplative prayer, the first challenge I found is that whole thing of in contemplative prayer and just sitting in the presence of God and doing nothing, it feels like a waste of time. It feels like I should be doing something um, with my time. So much of our lives, we're judged on how productive we are, aren't we? Like how you use your day at work. For some reason, sometimes people want to know what I've done with my time at work. And really, I think they should uh, uh, not ask. But um, I was hoping for a bit more from that. Oh, well. Uh, (laughs) You pay my salary. You do. Um, Yeah, you can still tap and pay at the back. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, and so, kind of, we are what we produce. We are what we make happen. We are um, as valuable as all that we achieve. Um, and sometimes, what can happen for me is I take that attitude and I bring it into my walk with God, right? So that by accident, I'm now thinking about the things that I do with God in mind. I'm thinking about the spirit, like my, my spiritual life in terms of what have I achieved, what have I produced, what have I done. And so that can come into my prayer life as well. And very quickly, before I know it, prayer is less about hanging out with God and less about being in his presence and more about ticking boxes and, and getting God to do stuff and making sure that I've listed all my things to him so that um, if something happens, like, if, you know, does that make sense? And I kind of bring in my, my need to do, my need to kind of find worth in doing stuff um, into my prayer life with God. Um, for Anna, as we've already talked about, um, this is kind of like a massive story in terms of her just saying to the dominant narratives of her culture, actually, you don't get to define my life. And, and she does her life in a different way. She um, just pursues the presence of God in the temple and so much about being quiet in prayer we're going to try it at the end i think we're going to try a little bit of time of just being quiet with god in prayer um what i've found is this i really want to try and make the time useful so i really want to actually there's things i want to talk to god about and being quiet in prayer forces me to be like no i'm just going to sit with him in his presence you know um uh i'm married I, i think most of you probably know that um, it may come as a surprise. Um, and we, like, it's really nice, um, now that we have kids, um, that the kids have a bedtime. And uh, that's a really, really positive thing in our, <laughs> in our life at the moment. That around 7, 7.30, 8, if we're doing badly, um, the kids will go down to sleep. And Melissa and I get to hang out. Now, this feels quite novel at that stage in the day. Um, So we get to actually sit and talk together and share about how our day's gone. Now, sometimes what happens, and it's never me that initiates this, is that Melissa will say, Sam, can we talk about our diaries? And it's a deeply painful moment for me because there's one thing I hate. It's kind of organization, life admin. I detest life admin. And by that stage, all I want to do in the evening is just hang out, is sit together, sit next to each other and watch TV or sit across the table from each other and eat our food and talk about the day and talk about what's meaningful. And I don't want to be like, when are you free this week? Okay, what about that evening? Okay, can we do this that evening? Okay, uh, we need to organize so-and-so's birthday present. Oh. Um, unfortunately, Melissa does most of it, um, which I'm sorry about. But um, sometimes I feel like, now it's really good that Melissa does that because otherwise we wouldn't have a life. Like we wouldn't have a house, we wouldn't have a family, we wouldn't have any friends. Like it's really, really good um, that she's kind of up there on the admin and on the organization. But I feel like sometimes our prayer life with God can go a bit down that extreme where our relationship with God, all we ever do with him is life admin. Like, all we ever do with him is, is, oh, I need this, I need that, I need that, that person needs this. Would you come and do that? Would you sort that out, please? And never just sitting across the table and just being together and just fellowshipping. And it's a real challenge, but a really beautiful um, one. Philip Yancey speaks about prayer like this. He said, I am learning that prayer need not be productive um, in the normal sense of the term. What a healthy thing to learn. Your prayer life doesn't have to be productive. 
Um, I spend most of my waking hours trying to make it through the designated tasks for that day. Prayer offers a time to set aside that list of concerns, or rather to present them to God, to relax, to let the mind roam freely, to drink deeply, to insert a pause into the day, to trust. Isn't that a beautiful list of things? Beautiful way of looking at it. Prayer is something that isn't supposed to be a to-do thing on our agenda, and it's not full of to-dos to do. It's a time to just be in the presence of God, and, and to trust, and to offload, and to just rest, to insert a pause in the day. I love that. There's another guy who I really also um, love and have quoted before here, um, called Henry, Henry Now. I'm just going to call him Henry Now, and I know that's not how you say his name, because um, it's not English, but um, this is how I say his name. Um, and he said this, he's, t- he's talking about prayer. Now, Henry Nouwen um, was a massive advocate for social change, social justice, issues around um, war and peace. And he was a very public figure um, and very like an active person. So not just to kind of hide, in the way, hide away in a room kind of Christian, an active person. But the way he speaks about prayer is about resistance against kind of activity, resistance against conflict. And he says this, prayer is certainly not an easy act. Um, and he's talking about being contemplative. He's talking about being, being in silence before God. Since nearly everyone around us opposes it, the predominant voice says, keep moving, keep working, keep pushing, keep talking, writing, organizing. Be sure to get things done and done as soon as possible. But this voice is not the voice of the Lord of peace. What do we do in our solitude? The first answer is nothing. Just be present to the one who wants your attention and listen. It is precisely in this useless presence to God that we can gradually die to our illusions of power and control and give ear to the voice of love hidden in the center of our being. Huh? Like, huh? Not many amens still, but that's okay. I mean, I didn't ask you to amen. I asked you to huh. Um, yeah, that's been a challenge for me, is getting used to, okay, sitting still, being in the presence of God, and allowing the time to not be um, useful. The second thing I found a particular challenge is that my head is a bit of a mess. And um, I can go in contemplative prayer, or I can sit down, I can set aside 20 minutes or whatever, um, and, and just try and sit there. And I reckon I can maybe pull two and a half seconds of non-distracted time before my brain starts going off on one, right? Um, now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried um, just being still and not, and, and not kind of thinking, not like leading your thoughts in any way. It's actually flipping difficult. Um, and, uh, and I'm full of worries and distractions. And, and then what comes up is a fight that I had with that person last week and how I really wish I'd said that or um, the worries I have about what's coming up or when's the next time I'm going to eat something. Or, um, and it's just like a constant stream of like, oh, I'm being distracted by that. Oh, I'm being distracted by that. And I really want to be in this kind of serene place where I'm just totally aware instantly of the presence of God all around me. And yet what happens is, and this comes up. Now, the reason I share that is that on the one hand, that's really discouraging and really annoying, and it makes contemplative prayer hard. On the other hand, what a great opportunity for me to become more aware of how much of a mess I am and how much God loves me anyway. Because in other forms of prayer, like, which I love, like, uh, don't, please, 
don't interpret me as saying that other forms of prayer are bad. Like, but it's so easy, even in prayer, to be like, oh God, the problem is over there. The problem is that person. The problem is their illness. The problem is that government. The problem is that thing over there. Lord, wage war against them. Sort them out. Do that. And, and so I can externalize um, like the problems that God has in interacting with the world and, and say the fight is over there, God. In contemplative prayer, the only enemy I have to face is this one. And it's a beautiful way of becoming aware of, oh my gosh, Sam's been a Christian for 30 years and he's still a complete mess. And what a great thing to be aware of. And I can, I can actually invite those things, a God, into those things and just say, do you know what, God? I've had, that thought's just come into my mind. Okay, I just give it to you. Okay. This thought's just come into my mind. Okay, I just give it to you. It's actually incredibly humbling. I was listening to a podcast this week. Um, I listened to a podcast called Nomad Podcast, which is just brilliant. Um, and so I heartily recommend it. Um, but uh, they were doing, the guy on it was doing a five-day silent retreat up north somewhere. Um, I can't remember the place, but he, he and his wife, and they'd never tried a silent retreat before, um, went and did a five-day silent retreat. And he said it was like excellent time, but really, really challenging. He said the thing that just got me the most was that basically all of his distractions, all the things that stopped him from just being quiet and focusing on God, all the things that were raging in his mind, they were basically all about him. He was like, I wasn't like worried about world poverty or worried about like that massive situation over there. It was mainly just things about me. And he found it really, really humbling to sit in God's presence and be so aware of how selfish he was that actually, the the ironic thing is, that opens us up more to grace. When we realize how much of a mess, how much of a pickle, as it were, we're still in, it opens us up to grace. Um, Franciscan friar called Richard Rohr uh, puts it like this, he says, that's why I teach centering prayer and contemplation and really all intelligent religious rituals and practices, I don't quite know which ones he means by that, he says to lead you to a place of nakedness and vulnerability it doesn't mean literal nakedness, this doesn't have to be a a nude activity Um, but a a kind of vulnerability, a, a, a spiritual nakedness where your ego identity falls away, where your explanations don't mean anything where your superiority doesn't matter. You just have to sit there in your naked hooness. And if God wants to get to you, these liminal moments are when he has the very best chance. Isn't that cool? So we learn to be useless. We learn to be vulnerable. But then the beautiful thing, like he just said there, if God wants to get to you, it's not going to be at the point where you think, hey, I've really cracked this prayer thing, is it? Because the way that God wants to get to us is grace. And so the place he's most likely to inter- like I, I'm most likely to be perceptive of God's grace is at the point where I'm trying, I'm trying to engage with him, and I realize, man, I am rubbish at this. And I think then he's like, okay, cool. Now we can talk. Now we can do business. So basically the point of contemplative prayer is being bad at it. So that's good. Um, you remember the story of, of Jacob um, and how Jacob is uh, diddling his brother and he um, gets the blessing from his dad and you know the story right Um, and uh, his older brother who should have gotten the family blessing and the kind of the the like you'll take the family name and continue the family and all this kind of stuff Um, Esau should have got that but Jacob kind of nipped in and deceived his way in and got the blessing of his father so how does Esau feel about this 
is a little peeved, isn't he? Um, uh, kind of murderously peeved, some would say. Um, and so Esau wants to kill um, Jacob, and Jacob's mum says, you should go away, shoo off, um, hide for a while, get married. There's a good family. You can marry them. That was some great advice, wasn't it? Um, and, uh, and then it'll all be well. And so you get the situation where Jacob is running away, and he's got nothing left. He's running away from his family. He's running away from um, all the love he's ever known, even though it was a bit of dysfunctional in itself. He's got no friends. He doesn't know the people he's even going to see um, yet, even though they're his uncle, I think. And, um, and on the way, he has to stop for the night. And so he puts this stone uh, under his head as a pillow. And, and then while he's asleep at night, um, he has this vision, doesn't he, of a, a staircase going up to heaven and angels of, the angels of God ascending and descending on this staircase. And then he wakes up and he says this really interesting phrase. Now, Jacob wasn't always that much of a profound guy, um, but this is a good, profound phrase. He says this, surely God was in this place and I didn't realize it. Surely God was in this place and I did not know it. Now, that's a massively important thing for me. And now, Jacob kind of interprets that as this place that I'm in is somehow holy. So he calls it Bethel and plants a city and bloody blah. Um, but I think, do you know what? If, I think if he was 20 yards further down the road, I think that's where he'd have had the vision, right? Or if he was a mile further down the road, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where he'd had the vision. The point wasn't he was in like a, a ring of like, oh, that ground is holy. The point is we go through our lives not aware of the presence of God with us. And then sometimes we're allowed these experiences or we come to realize, oh my gosh, God was here the whole time. And so um, one of the other challenges, this is kind of the third thing I want to share um, about being still in prayer, is this really is about allowing the presence of God to be made clear to us. Um, I feel like a lot of the time my language um, around prayer uh, kind of gives away my theology a little bit. So um, often I find I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come to me, right? Now, that's a fine prayer. It's kind of it's biblical, I think. Um, and so, but the idea is I'm here and God is somewhere else and he needs to come to me, right? Or um, like, God, would you just move in the situation as if God is kind of still and not moving and I'm getting him to move. Or um, uh, God, we invite you here. We sing songs about we welcome you. We welcome you with praise. And I love those songs. That's a way of talking about it. Um, but it can lead me into a point where I feel like Okay, I'm present and God's somewhere else. Whereas what I think contemplative prayer has shown me is God is present and I'm basically everywhere else. Does that make sense? And when you come to realize, oh my gosh, he was always here. I just wasn't paying attention. I just wasn't listening. Um, I go... Um, to Belmarsh Prison once a month to help the chaplaincy team out and lead some worship, and it's always really fun. The guy who leads the sessions um, always says this phrase to me when I come in to lead worship. He says, lead us into that place. Lead us into that place. Um, and I couldn't like, work out why the phrase bothered me a little bit um, until I started realizing, wait, I don't think I'm supposed to lead us into that place. I think my aim is to lead us into this place. Does that make sense? That in some sense, being more present um, to ourselves and to those around us and to the God who was here all the time um, has to become the aim. God is not elsewhere. He was always here. I'm just all over the place. Um, 
the challenge then is recognizing um, his presence. There's um, a guy who I've uh, read a bit this last year who I, who I love. He's a Jewish scholar called Abraham Heschel. Um, and I don't understand a lot of what he says in his book. Uh, but he says this about kind of being present with God. He says, um, just as clairvoyance may see the future. Now, by the way, he's not advocating uh, like, <laughs> like the occult or anything like that. He's just saying, um, uh, you know, they aim to see the future. Um, but the religious man comes to sense the present moment. And then he says this, and this is an extreme achievement. What a lovely way of talking about it. The religious man comes to sense the present moment. I wonder how in the present moment you are. I think I spend virtually none of my time in the present moment. I spend most of it worrying about what's coming up, thinking about what's happened, being anxious. Um, I was, uh, with Melissa and I were talking about this last night and just thinking about, my gosh, when we're with the kids, I so rarely am just fully present with my kids. Because even then, I, like this is the only chance I'll get to hang out with Martha at this age, basically. You know, tomorrow she'll be a day older, the next day she'll be... The, um, and so the time moves so quickly, but I still find it so hard just to give myself to her in concentration without being distracted by a whole load of other things. And so I can miss her presence, even though she's right in front of me. And, and it's a little bit like that with God. Um, it says, uh, the religious man learns to sense the present moment, and this is an extreme achievement, for the present is the presence of God. Um, yeah. And that's kind of something so so beautiful. Um, now, in... <laughs> In, in a time of prayer, so let's imagine you're sitting down, you've made some time at home or um, on the train on the way to work or whatever, and you're just trying to be present. You're just trying to be present with the presence of God. Um, the temptation can be like, okay, so all I need to do is I need to be present with God. And then you try and be as present as possible by being really active in your mind and kind of thinking about God in loads of different ways and kind of, kind of like, yes, he's close, he's close, he's close. Do you know what I mean? Kind of willing yourself on. It's even more relaxed than that. Um, that God is present just as much in your breath as in your mind, just as much in our bodies as in our souls, just as much like in every moment that's present to us. God is present. God is pouring himself out. Every breath is a gift of God. Every moment is because he's sustaining all, all things and holding it together. Um, so this is really something to relax into rather than to try and convince yourself of. Does that make sense? Uh, But nonetheless, it's true. In every single moment of your life, God has been present to you. Isn't that lovely? God has been totally attentive to you. His love has been totally poured out to you. Any dysfunctionality in the relationship doesn't come from him. Isn't that cool? You don't have to try and convince him. You don't have to try and get him. You just get to relax into his presence. Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. And what I love about Anna is, um, one thing I love about Anna is that she does this for like 60 years. She just worships in the temple for 60 years. And what it does is it makes her so perceptive of the present moment, so perceptive of the presence of God, of the anointing of God, so perceptive of what he looks like and who he is, that as soon as Mary and Joseph walk into the temple carrying a week old baby, not a week old baby, like a week old baby, (laughs) yeah, a seven day old baby, that's a better way of putting it, Um, he might have been weak. Um, as well, 
I don't know why I'm getting stuck there now. But as soon as they walk in, carrying this child, Anna notices because she knows God so well she can spot him. Does that make sense? Isn't that so beautiful? To be able to, to know God so intimately that when he shows up, you can be like, yes, yes. Um, I mean, obviously what I'm saying is he doesn't just show up once every now and then. But, um, but she's able to spot that is the one. This is the Messiah we've been waiting for. And it's because she's been so tuned by just hours and hours of prayer um, and worship and a lifetime of giving herself um, to God that she can even spot it in this other in this baby, in this child. Now that leads us on to really the kind of the final bit, um, which is this, um, that it's about spotting the presence of God in the present moment, but also we're called to spot the presence of God everywhere around us and in everyone around us. Mother Teresa, I've quoted this a few times before because I just love um, the way that she puts this. Um, her, her kind of order of um, nuns, I think, made this their aim. This is kind of part of their mission statement. She said, we are called to be contemplatives in the heart of the world by seeking the face of God in everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time, and seeing his hand in every happening, seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly appearance of bread and in the distressing disguise of the poor. Huh. Can I get a huh? Huh. Isn't that just a brilliant way of putting it? Oh, my days. Um, the, the, there's this idea that as contemplatives, people who become aware of the presence of God, we become not just aware of his presence for us, of his love for us, but his presence and his love and his image on everyone that we interact with in our lives. That has a massive implication. In our house group, um, we use a Northumbria community liturgy. We actually use the morning prayers every time we meet in the evening um, because we're kind of edgy. Um, yeah, um, and so um, part of that morning prayer liturgy that we use in our evening, um, kind of towards the end of our time together, um, says this. It says it's kind of inviting Jesus into um, like to be with us as we go, um, and it says, "Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, and in the mouth of each who speaks unto me." God, would you be in the heart of each to whom I speak? As in, whenever I have a conversation with someone. I want to be able to recognize your spirit in them. I want to be able to recognize your image in them. I want to treat them like I would treat you. And in the mouth of each who speaks unto me, whenever someone uh, interacts with me, I want to treat it like the voice of God. I want to treat it like the, the presence of God in my life. That in some way, um, learning this, to do this walk with God is about learning to see God um, in those around us. And uh, that's a particular challenge for me because often when I see people, I don't see the presence of Jesus. I see a nuisance. <laughs> I see something to kind of get done or someone rings the door at here for good. And um, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing. And I've got to go down and interact with a, you know, someone who bears the divine image. Oh, rats. Um, and, and actually, it's just so good for me um, to kind of keep reminding myself, man, this person um, carries the, the presence of God. Um, and that's where, for me, that's where this whole thing kind of gets a bit more exciting. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, from my perspective, you don't look all that excited just yet. So, um, and that's that. I think often when we think of contemplative forms of spirituality, we think of people 
who do their kind of their religion kind of behind closed doors and then that's the aim that's where it all stops that's where it kind of ends so so the contemplatives are, are kind of almost opposed to the actives so the actives are those out, actually out there building the kingdom of god and the contemplatives are those hiding away in a room focusing on personal development or something like that and, and engaging with the, and and one of the things i've i've found is just oh my gosh when people get contemplation right when people get sitting in the presence of god right when people get transformed by the spirit of god by just by being with him in his presence um it's really hard for them to stay inside and be useless like it's really hard for them to not then act out of compassion um as a, a couple of people who've who've died in the last couple of weeks that i really wanted to get into this talk one of them i couldn't quite edge in um called rachel held evans who i just have so much respect for she was an incredible um uh, progressive christian in the states who modeled how to do progressive christianity really well and in a non um non-confrontational way so she's great you should look her up um the other guy who died i i could get into this talk um because <laughs> He's just so easy to. He was called Jean Vanier. Has anyone heard of Jean Vanier? What did he do? Just tell me. That's right. Um, Jean Vanier was the head, I think, for a long time, I think, um, of the L'Arche communities. So L'Arche is a um, basically able-bodied and disabled people living in community together and modeling, oh my gosh, Jesus values everyone just the same. And they really modeled that so deeply um, so that even his funeral just looked completely um, inclusive in terms of like people of different abilities contributing because they were his friends, not because it was um, they were trying to. Um, he was brilliant, stunning guy. Um, he said this, we must seek times of solitude for quiet prayer where we can nourish our faith in order to meet Jesus in the poor and the weak. Do you get that link? We must be, we must be quiet. We must get alone with God so that when we're not, we can see Jesus in the poor and the weak. Prayer then becomes an attitude, an inner peace, as we attend to reality and listen to people, as we speak and share with them and make decisions to get... Oh, that's my typo. Together. It becomes... Amen. It becomes a way of life, listening to the heart of God, beating in all that surrounds us, in life, in ourselves, and in others. Jean Vanier really modeled what it looks like to be a contemplative who makes his life count for something. Um, and really, basically, everyone that I've uh, been studying over the past year um, who's been serious about this contemplative walk has then gone on to do amazing things. Like Henry Nouwen, who I quoted earlier, this contemplative guy who just gets engaged at every level of, of politics and international justice. And he was on the Selma marches in the 60s and uh, protesting the Vietnam War and just the ridiculous sacrifice of young people's lives and, um, and innocent people's lives in, in that. Or Thomas Merton, who was um, this kind of crazy retreat monk kind of guy, really weird and hard to understand, um, but all about social justice, all about civil rights, or like um, this guy, Jean uh, Vanier, or Mother Teresa. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? This shouldn't just push us further into ourselves. Prayer is never about just pushing us further into ourselves. It's about retreating so that when we, when we go out, we can carry the presence of God, we can recognize the presence of God, and we can be genuinely useful. Or as Jesus so el excellently puts it, abide in me. Abide in me. And you will bear much fruit. What, an e what a lovely metaphor. Like, think of all the effort that a grape branch, branch, vine, vine branch, has to go through to abide in a vine. Not much. Just holds on, stays there, 
And Jesus is like, if you stay in my presence, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. Isn't that cool? So I really, I, the reason I wanted to do this morning was just to kind of um, add that as a string to your prayer bow, as it were, like a, a thing, um, a tool you can use in terms of engaging with God. And it, it turns out it's super easy and super difficult at the same time. But right now, what I'd love us to do is just spend five minutes um, in quiet together. And really, all we're going to do is uh, find, find a way of kind of being comfortable in your chair. For some of you, um, if you're on the dodgy chairs, that'll be harder than others. Um, but kind of find a way of being comfortable, being relatively upright, maybe alert. Um, think about what you do with your hands, where you want them to be. Um, and we're going to kind of just sit for, for five minutes. Um, and it, we're going invite, to invite the Holy Spirit to make himself known to us, really. Um, and invite ourselves to be present to him. Um, and maybe I'll offer like a little bit of guidance. Um, but basically, you're not trying to think about him. You're not trying to um, make thoughts about God happen in your mind. But just initially, um, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Maybe begin by um, just noticing your, your breath. We can live so much of our lives without um, even noticing that we're breathing, and yet your body is doing it all the time. It's receiving and giving, receiving and giving. If it's helpful for you, just... Um, kind of in your mind, maybe have the phrase, God, I'm available. Here I am. As things um, are coming up for you, you probably um, there'll be thoughts about other things, probably loads of different things. Just, it's okay, just say, oh, I give that to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that you are among us. Thank you that from the beginning you've been breathing life and that that's what you're doing right now in us. Thank you that you're breathing new things and old things. Thank you that you're here to help help us to be people of fruit and also you're here to prune. Thank you that you're so present and pouring your love out on me. Thank you that you're so present and pouring your love out on the person near me and everyone in this room. Thank you that you're present with and pouring your love out on the people walking past outside right now. On the people driving past on the road and Everyone in this area, everyone in this city, everyone in this country, everyone in the world, you're just pouring your love out all the time. Lord, we want to be those who notice and those who speak that over people. So help us to be people that see, that see your face in everyone, everywhere, all the time. And Lord, like for those that we've just talked about, I pray that it would actually make a foundational difference in my life as well.
So, Holy Spirit, thank you. Amen.